Well, we are excited today. If you've been around H2O for any amount of time, you know that something that we're extremely passionate about is raising up leaders, giving people opportunities to serve and use their gifting. And one of the special passions that we have is raising up new pastors. So we have pastors in training program, and from time to time, those pastors in training get the opportunity to come up and share with you, our congregation, uh, what God is teaching them. And so I'm really excited for our church today to hear from Alfonso Mack. Alfonso is a guy I've gotten to know, and he truly is somebody who's seeking after the Lord in a special way. He's a lot younger than me, but man, he's taught me so much uh, in my time of getting to, to spend time with him and get to know him, and I'm excited for you all to be able to hear from him today. So with that being said, let's give Alfonso Mack a warm H2O welcome. Hey, Brian, thanks. Appreciate that, Brian. Yeah, good morning, good morning, everybody. Um, man, what an honor it is to be able to be before you today. Um, I'm so excited about this text that we'll be in. We'll be continuing in in our Romans 8 series. So like Brian said, I'm Alfonso. I'm a pastor in training, and I'm just so thankful that I get to share with you all this morning. And so one of the things, though, before we even jump in, I have to reiterate it because we've even talked about the last couple of weeks if you've been in our Romans 8 series, and it's really how great Romans 8 is of a chapter. It's one of those chapters in which many theologians and pastors say, this is probably the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. Because you get to see the love of God so deeply through the gospel and what it looks like for Christians to actually live like Christ through all of their days. And so we're just going to pick right back up. And uh, last week we finished um, from verses 5 through 11. And so this week we'll be in verses 12 to 17. And so in this section today, what we'll be looking at is the working and the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer which brings comfort and assurance in our relationship with Jesus. And so one of the big questions and things that may arise during this time is how can we be sure and secure that we are gods? How can we be confident that we are actually Christians? And well, this passage is going to give us pretty much three things that help us understand what it truly means to know God and be assured that we are with him. And so as we get ready to dive into this passage, I want you to think about this question throughout and it's this one, this really deep question I've just been thinking about and even pondering myself as I've been doing study. And it is this, does my life actually reflect that I am a part of God's family? Does my life actually reflect that I am a part of God's family? And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8, uh, verses 12 to 17. Um, we have a lot to talk about, so make sure you guys buckle up. We could be here for about an hour, but actually, no, we won't be here that long. Um, but yeah, if you, if you have your Bible, open it up, and it reads as this in verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And so from this text, our big idea for today is this. We have assurance in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have assurance in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so my first point out of three points is this, assurance in the faith 
is found in our need for the Spirit to fight sin. And we'll see this in verses 12 to 13. Assurance in the faith is found in our need for the Spirit to fight sin. And so when you open up this, this, uh, this section of Scripture, one of the first things you see here in verse 12 is Paul starts it out by saying, so then, in other translations, it may say, it may say therefore. And so really, Paul is, when you look at that verse, verse 12 and even 13, he's making it really clear to jump out. And he's saying this, we need the Holy Spirit in order to defeat sin. That's really what he's saying at the beginning. And, but really, we have to understand how to even get there. And so in, in the beginning, when he says, so then, he's pointing to his last point. And so really, if you go look at verse 11, he's talking about how in we, when we have Christ, when we, have, when we come to know him, the same spirit that lives in us is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and will give life to our mortal bodies. That's what he's referring to when he says, so then. And so when he gets to this part, he's saying, so then, since you, the Christian, have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living inside of you, you are not obligated to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now, this may be a really bold statement. This is a really scary statement for some of us that may be reading this. It's like, what? This is kind of crazy. I'm not obligated to the flesh. Like, what does that mean? Like, why would he even say that? And there's many reasons why he says that, but he kind of gives us an answer in verse 13, and it's this. It's because it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. He says that we are not obligated to the flesh or bound to the flesh. So when he says flesh here, he's talking about our sinful nature. So anyone that may be wondering what is flesh, he's talking about the sinful nature of mankind, uh, all of our flawedness. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later. But really what he's saying is this. We don't owe the flesh anything, nor are we subject to the authority of the flesh. But we are, though, obligated to the spirit. And that's how we are actually called to live as Christians. And so Paul, in this time, he has to remind them of this because living according to the flesh or sinful desires actually leads to death. And you see this in the beginning of first verse 13. And he even says, he makes it clear. He says, you are going to die. Or in some cases it says, or you will die. And so really, he's saying that the penalty of sin, which Romans 6.23 says is death, will actually happen to you at the end of your life. That's what he was referring to. This is towards the end of, of your life when you die. And really, this death that he's referring to is this eternal separation from God. And this is what happens for anyone that does not repent and believe in the good news and turn and follow Christ. But Paul is like, listen, I know that this actually sounds like bad news. But hey, listen, you actually have some hope. And this hope happens to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see this in the, in the last half of verse 13, because he says this, if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so this is a beautiful verse of assurance for the Christian, because he says, if by the Spirit you put to death, meaning he's saying that the only way to kill sin is by the Spirit. So you actually have hope to kill sin so that you do not die. It's through the Spirit. And essentially, this is a reflection of the gospel. The gospel says this, that through Christ's death, the penalty of sin has been paid for. But through his resurrection, by the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, we have been set free from the power of sin. Now, it is really important to say this, though, and so, so we all understand this, is that you are still saved when you become a Christian. But the thing about being a Christian and any, any person that lives on this planet, you are not necessarily free from the presence or the temptation of sin. So even when you come to faith in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, you must remember that you still will battle in your heart with sin that is looking to devour you 
as a follower of Jesus. And so many people that I talk to literally experience this often, and I myself is included. I am tempted just like any other man, even as I follow Christ. But one thing I have to say is that we have to keep working to fight sin. And we may lose some time, but we have to understand that it is a fight against it so that it does not destroy and ruin us. We won't be perfect at this, but it is essential that we fight and we battle. And we will talk even a little bit more about this as we carry on in this section. And so for the Christian, we must know that because of our faith and our relationship with Jesus, we aren't slaves to sin. We are not obligated to sin because we have power over sin through the Holy Spirit. And so it is appropriate here in this verse to understand why we actually needed the power of the Holy Spirit, why it's so necessary to be able to destroy and kill sin. And Paul says this, and he makes it kind of clear of why we needed the Holy Spirit's power. He says to actually put to death the deeds of the body so that we will live. So he's saying put to death. So we need the spirit to actually put to death the deeds of the body. And so some of us may be wondering, what are the deeds of the body? So real quick, I'm just going to address it to you. Uh, Paul is essentially referring to the deeds of the body as being connected, the things that are connected to our sinful humanity, our fallen nature. He's saying that these things are contrary to God and they separate us from him. And if you want a really good section of scripture to look at, go to Colossians 3, 5 through 10. And Paul actually addresses this. I'm going to read it here. If you have your Bible, you can turn it if you want. You don't have to. But he says this, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. You once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So when you become a Christian, you put on the new self. And earlier he says, put to death. He said, but then he finishes by saying, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. And so here we get this, this clear picture from, from Paul of a, of a glimpse of what the deeds of the body are in, the, in, in our sinful flesh. But what we have to understand and what we ultimately see here is that Paul is pointing to something different, and he's pointing to this emphasis on putting to death these things. So when you go look at verse 13 in Romans 8, and we see this word put to death, you have to understand that this can also mean to mortify. So this is the same language that can be used in war to go out and destroy and to kill. And so really, we must be raging war against our flesh and the sin that looks to devour us, because if we don't, it will literally kill us. And actually, when you go, there's a, a great theologian, John Owens. He talks about this, that we need to be put into death our sin or it will kill us. And, this is, and so when we go look at this verse and we go think about even Colossians 3, it's a reflection of how sin is this pernicious disease that is actually looking to devour anything in its way, even for the Christian. Sin in and of itself, it leads to brokenness in our relationships, in our friendships, Right in our families, at least to shame, at least to guilt, at least to unsatisfied lives and emptiness. Think of all the ways that your own sin has caused pain in your life and the life of those that are around you. Sin is no joke. It's not a joke. It doesn't play fair one bit. It's almost as if when you're thinking about the Patriots and how they like to cheat sometimes. They don't, they don't want to play fair. But sin is the same way. It does not play fair. It is looking to devour anything in its way because that is its intent. And so I know all of this, when you go think about it, it sounds so morbid and sad. 
But God doesn't just leave us there. This is why Paul says, if by the Spirit, meaning like through Jesus, we can actually experience freedom from sin and truly live. It's done by the Spirit of God. And so what we must know is this, that our weak efforts in our sin to fight sin with sinful flesh isn't going to get it done. It's almost like, hey, I want to go clean my carpet today, and I know it's pretty dirty. That's me like going to go grab some more dirt and using the dirt to scrub my dirty carpet to scrub it clean. It's just not going to work to make it clean. doesn't work. Only, spirit, only the spirit of the living God can renew and restore dead things and bring them to life. And so the question for all of us is this. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, where are you turning? Where are you turning to overcome and kill the sin in your life that's actually looking to destroy you? Where are you looking? Is it numbing yourself with social media and TV? Or overworking at your job. Maybe it's finding a new significant other so you can forget, forget your guilt and shame from the last one. Because you don't want to deal with all the pain that you've created in your own sin. Maybe it's self-help and feel-good messages that really don't actually deal with the con- real consequences of sin and the depth of the human heart that is actually aching. Or maybe you try to trick yourself into saying, God doesn't care about these little sins. He doesn't care about them in order to make yourself feel good about the things that you know are actually wrong. Where are you turning to overcome the sin that's in your heart? We have to understand this. No matter where you turn to try to overcome sin, it is empty and pointless, unless it's the Holy Spirit, unless it's submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. It's like this. Why would we run to anything else to defeat sin that's looking to devour us and ruin our relationships? Things that we touch are literally falling apart in front of us. Why would we look to anything other than the one who went to the cross, took sin upon himself, he died, but then he also rose again over it, meaning he defeated sin and death. It has no power over him. Why would we run to anything else but him? Because he overcame it all. That doesn't make any sense. Our only hope over sin is Christ through the Spirit in order to defeat it. And so, because we recognize our need for the Spirit to fight against sin, you see how important it is to have the Spirit in the life of a Christian. And this is so important because it actually leads me to my second point, and it is this. Assurance in the faith is found in the Holy Spirit's confirmation of our adoption. Assurance in the faith is found in the Holy Spirit's confirmation of our adoption. And so you see this in verses 14 through 17, right at the beginning of verse 17. And so right here in this section, Paul is talking about those who are led by the Spirit are actually sons of God. He's actually referring here, this is also sons and daughters, so ladies, you are also included in this too. He's pointing out how believers can know that they are actually God's. And so we got a glimpse at the beginning. It's like, yeah, you know that you are God's because you're not obligated to flesh because you have the Spirit to fight it. That's the first part. But then here he's saying, like, oh, yeah, you know you're, you're God's child when you're led by the Spirit. And so this leading of the Spirit is actually leading us closer to Christ. It's actually forming in us a Christ-likeness. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that Christ actually talked about in John 15 and 16, that the Spirit is going to actually testify about Christ, convict the world about sin, leading them towards righteousness and judgment. And then it also says that the Holy Spirit will also guide in all of truth. And that's actually really cool because when you actually go think about it in John 14, 6, Jesus actually calls himself what? The way, the truth, and the life. 
You see the truth in the life. And so what we see from that and even Paul's description here is that the Holy Spirit is actually going to be leading us closer to, to Jesus, to be more like Christ. And this, when you go look in the fullness of it and you actually go look and soak in what you see here in these verses, it's this reflection of our familyhood in God. The Holy Spirit is leading us to this, this place of assurance that we are actually God's sons and daughters. And so this leading of the Spirit, though, I must, must make this point, it's not just saying that, oh, the Holy Spirit is leading me to make a decision about my next job or what college to go to or what person to marry. It's actually leading us to see we are God's children. And if it's leading us in that direction, the Spirit is actually leading us towards the Father and what, and what the Father likes and what the Father hates, and that is sin. He hates sin. Why in the world would we not want to hate the things that our father hates? That's what leading is like. If we're a part of his family, we would hate and like the same things that he hates and likes. And so this, when you look at this, this is also connected back. When you go see him talk about the spirit, put it, leads us to putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And so really for us, when we're thinking about this text and even this verse here, we must actually be thinking about this question. And it's like, if we're children of God, why don't we actually hate our sin? We are children of God. Why don't we hate our sin like our father does? That's what we have to wrestle with. Some of us may actually despise our sin. But then there's some of us, we might actually feel indifferent sometimes. I go on waves of that even myself sometimes as someone that's trying to follow the Lord. But here I'm reading this. It's like if we're a part of his family, he's leading us to see the show that we are God's sons and daughters. Then why wouldn't we hate and like the things that our father hates? Why wouldn't we hate it? But that's not even where it ends, though, because as God's children, we also are supposed to love the things that our father loves. And so we know that our father loves what? Purity. He loves righteousness. He loves holiness. These are the things that we should desire as people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and are supposed to be his sons and daughters. We are supposed to be a reflection of him. And now when we think of this, the things that we are supposed to like and love, just like our father and things that we're supposed to hate, it says like, yeah, that is you being a, a child of God. But that is an assurance in and of itself. But there's even more assurance that we have that we are God's children when we go and reflect on our lives. And it's through the reception of the spirit of adoption. Through the reception of the spirit of adoption. You see that in verse 15. And this is a really significant verse here because Paul, he juxtaposes the spirit of slavery and the spirit of adoption. And he has to do this because he's wanting the church in Rome to understand something. That when they came to know Jesus, they didn't just receive a spirit. They didn't receive a spirit of, of slavery to fall back into fear. Meaning they weren't controlled or enslaved in, or in bondage to Satan or the power of sin. That the things that lead us to fear, the things that lead us to fear obstacles, the things that lead us to fear failure which happens to us sometimes. Sometimes we actually fail and we might be thinking like, oh man, am I even a Christian? Did I lose my salvation? This is what the spirit of slavery does. That stuff actually makes us wonder those things. And when we wonder those things, sometimes it actually pulls us more away from God than it does towards God. But he's just like, no, that's not the spirit that you received when you came to know Christ. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery that leads you into fear that leads you to run away. He said, no, you receive the spirit of adoption in whom we can cry out, Abba, Father. This crying out, Abba, Father, is this running near to God. 
to drawing near to him and running away from our fear. And this is just so beautiful and joyous for us as Christians. This contrast is great because especially when we, we were, because we were actually in need of adoption ourselves, we needed to be adopted into a better family. That's why I love that verse. It's like, yeah, you were in this spirit of slavery that leads to fear, but now you have the spirit of adoption in whom we can cry, Abba, Father, and it is great because we needed it. Why? Because we were actually a part of a completely different family before. The scriptures actually talk about how we were actually children of wrath and enemies of God. And so actually, we can go and look in uh, Ephesians 2, 2 to 3, and I'll read this, and it says this, and this is the words of Paul. This is the same one that we're reading from in Romans, same author, and he says this, in which you previously lived, this is verse 2, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly natures, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Some verses also actually just make it clear and say children of wrath. And so here, this verse in Ephesians actually makes what Paul says in Romans 8 very uplifting. Because we were like that kid in the, in the adoption agency that, that families may hear of when they walk in and they say, yeah, I don't know if you actually want that kid. They might be a troublemaker. They may be disobedient. They actually may be hard to take care of. They might be the problem child. But actually those parents who say, no, I actually still want that kid. That's a reflection of God who says, I know that they may be that way. I know that they might have been children of wrath or part of a different family, or they might be disobedient, but it's like, I actually want that person in my family. And so the spirit of adoption is powerful for the Christian. It's powerful for us to understand because it paints this picture of God's desire for even the worst of us. We might be a part of a terrible family with bad role models. Maybe we're those kids who have gone astray and are actually in need of a home. But praise the Lord for this verse, because now we have a loving father in heaven whom we can have a relationship with through Jesus and finally come to be in his family and actually cry out, Abba, Father. I love that word, Abba, because in in, it's a word in Aramaic for father. It's the same words that Jesus actually used when he's getting ready to go to the cross in Mark 14. It's the same thing that, that Paul uses in Galatians 4. And these words of Abba, Father, is just calling out for God the Father in such a comforting way. This God, I need you type of calling. Father, I just want you to be close to me. I just long for your sweet love. Please draw near to me. I just want to be close to you. You're all I need right now. Comfort me. That's why it says cry out, Abba, Father. This is the cry of the heart for those who have the spirit of adoption. Abba, Father, like, God, I need you. And guess what? This is, a, this is something that is so great, and I love it. Because as we're crying out, Abba, Father, it says that the Spirit is testifying with us that we are God's children in that next verse. And this is so, so good. Because I know sometimes we all actually question whether or not are we even God's children. And here, as we cry out, Abba, Father, even in the worst of situations, or even when we're wrestling with anything, the Spirit comes to testify with us, even as we're crying out. And it says that the, that the word testifies this picture of the Spirit coming alongside of us, bearing witness with us, confirming with us that, yes, you are God's. 
says the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his. We are his. That is so comforting. That is so comforting. You're talking about wanting to know assurance? Having the Holy Spirit alongside of you, even in the hardest times, crying out, as you're crying out, Abba, Father, and say, yep, you are his. And this testifying that the Spirit does is just so good for us. And the way that we can even see that testifying happening and this confirmation happening is as we look about it at our lives as Christians, it's, it's this picture of the Spirit stepping in and leading us to see that, man, Christ has changed my life. He is convicted, convicting me of sin. Or he's reminding me of the gospel. I come to church or I'm at home and I'm having time in the Word or I'm just having going about my day and there's this reminder of how good God is. This is a testify to say, yes, you are children of God. And as you continue in that, it's like, yep, you have this understanding that you are children of God. But as you are children of God, then you are also heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. And this is so great because when we even look at that part of being heirs with Christ and, and, and heirs with God, I love it because it's this picture that actually Paul was, was talking about in adoption when he's talking about, to the Romans. So he's writing to Romans, and during that, during that time, in, in Roman law, an adopted child would actually receive all the legal rights and privileges of the natural children. So as an heir, and this is so cool, and as, an, as someone who's adopted to God's family, we receive these things when we are, when we are adopted to his family. It's just like today when we think about adoption in a, in a child, he comes to know uh, a family brings him in, and it's like that child takes on the last name and everything else, and they live in the home, and they get to experience the great things of this family. And this is an excitement for us as a Christian as we're reading this because we are heirs with God, meaning we get to share in the inheritance of being in God's kingdom, the same inheritance that Christ himself received. And this is the blessing of having God for eternity, being a part of his kingdom and walking alongside of him and even experiencing the blessings of following Jesus with peace, love, joy, even today. This is what it looks like to be heirs of God. But also being heirs with God also means that we are co-heirs with Christ. And being co-heirs with Christ means that we also are going to inherit what Christ inherited. But one of the things that Christ actually inherited was suffering, which leads me to my third and final point. And it is this. Assurance in the faith is found in the blessing of suffering. Assurance in the faith is found in the blessing of suffering. And so if you go look at verse 17b, which is the last part of verse 17, being co-heirs with Christ means that we get to actually receive that what Christ received. And Paul gives us that by saying, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified in him. Essentially, he's saying, hey, Christ's path to glory was by suffering. And because you are a son of God and you're a part of Christ's family, you will actually suffer too. Now, this may actually seem wild for some of us. It may not even make sense, but this is actually very glorious. And it's wild because Christ's suffering on the cross produced the glory and hope to which we actually cling to as Christians. So we can be thankful. We can be thankful. So for the Christian... Even in the suffering, it might be hard. But as a Christian, you have to understand, we, in, we inherit this. So you're going to have to go through some things. And maybe some of us are going through some hard stuff right now, going through some persecutions, some really hard things. You're recognizing, like, oh, man, following Jesus just isn't all sunshine and rainbows because I'm going through hard things. But listen, though, even in the hard stuff and in the muck and the miry bog of life, you have to understand that your struggling and your suffering is not in vain. It's not pointless. 
And we needed to be reminded of this. And Paul had this same thing in mind when he's writing to this church because we will suffer. And in our suffering, it points us to the fact that we are God's children. Why? Because it also leads us into the glory that Christ received. And you saw that in the gospel. Jesus himself, he bled and he died. He suffered at the hands of wicked people. He was persecuted. He was spat on. He was mocked. And he suffered. But guess what he also did? He didn't just suffer and die, and that was the end of it. He rose again. He rose again. He actually had, some, he actually had this glory that came with him as he rose. And so because we are in him, because we are part of his family, because we are heirs with him, we will also suffer. But this suffering actually just is going to lead to glory, being made more like him. And you can see more of that in Romans 6, verses 3 and 5, and even Colossians 2 in this picture of being baptized into his death and baptized into his resurrection. And so it's like, yeah, you will experience this hard thing, this, this, this suffering. But yet you will also raise with him in glory. You'll get to experience the beauty of the resurrection. Like I said, that's the hope to which we cling to. And this is so great because it is showing that, hey, we have been brought to God. That's what the resurrection proved, that he was actually God. And then when he rose again later, it says that he ascended and went back to his heavenly kingdom with his father. And guess what? Even when we die as a Christian, we can go back to even beginning in Romans 8, 1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So you actually get to experience that resurrection power with him. What an honor it is to suffer alongside Christ that we might actually be glorified in him. It is a privilege to not only believe in Christ, but actually suffer for his sake. You can see, and, and we see that in Philippians 1, 28, or 29. Because it's so, it's so great. Because it leads us to the beauty of the resurrection. And all of this is this, this reflection that we are his. So even in the hard stuff, there is hope. Even in the suffering, there is hope. It actually reminds me of the times when I think about how good suffering can actually be to produce something good, even though in the middle of it, it's tough. It reminds me of my days as an athlete at BGSU when I played football. I was here from 2012 to 2016. And let me tell you, there were some days we're talking about suffering. Oh, Lord, help me. There were days when it's just like we are running, we're pushing sleds, and it's like, I don't know if I can even keep going. There were days I wanted to throw in a towel in the middle of running. There were days where I'm legit screaming out and yelling out scripture in my head as I'm running 110 and 10 meters or 10 yards. There were days where it's just like, this is very tough. But one of the things I will say, though, is that even in all the hardness, the long days in the weight room, putting on the heavy weight, even though it's hard, it led to so many of us on, the, on our team getting bigger, faster, and stronger, eventually helping us win a MAC championship. Actually, we won two during my time. And this is picture of like, yeah, you went through some pain, but it also led to some good things. And I know that's not the perfect example when we're comparing it to the scripture, but it's just a small picture of how suffering itself can actually lead to something God, it doesn't, uh, something good. So it doesn't compare to the gospel, but it's just a tiny glimpse of how suffering can lead to gloriousness. And so the gospel is the best and most clearest picture of that. And being children of God who have the Holy Spirit, just know this, that in your suffering, in your hard times, God is with you. And that's where that Abba Father comes back into play, that you are his, running to him, saying, Abba, I need you. I need you. And guess what? You have assurance that you are with him because the Spirit is leading you to him. That is what you can look to. And so as I get ready to close, my hope and plea is this, as we think about this passage, 
when we think about being, having this assurance of being in Christ, knowing that things may be tough, knowing that we're going to have to wrestle with sin and keep fighting. I want us to think about this passage throughout this week and think about the goodness of God here. But I also want us to ask this, ourselves this question that I actually asked earlier when I, when I started, and it's this. Does my life actually reflect I'm a part of God's family? Does my life actually reflect that I'm a part of God's family? And let your answer to this question just draw you to the feet of God and cry out, Abba, Father, like I need you. All the stuff that I've been struggling with in my sin, the things that I keep falling in over and over again, Abba, I just need you to help me. I need your spirit to cleanse me. I need your spirit to put to death the deeds of the body that are looking to destroy me. I need you. I need that assurance. That's my hope and plea. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this great word you blessed us with this morning. I just ask that you would just be with us throughout our days, that your spirit would continue to, to remind us of your goodness, that it would just lead us more into Christ-likeness. I pray that you would just give us these hearts that long to raise war against the sin that's looking to destroy. But then even in, in all of those things, I also ask that in our suffering, that we would be reminded of the gospel, knowing that, hey, we might suffer here for a little while, but in the end, we'll get to experience eternal glory with you. Praise you, Lord, for the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for going to take our sin upon yourself and die for us. We're just so thankful. And God, I just pray and just pray for every person that's listening today and ask that you would just draw them near to your feet. That you would just make them into people who are a reflection of your glory. And I pray you would just give them that comfort of the assurance that they are yours when they come and submit their lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.